Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, we shall read verses 1 to 6. We looked at verse 1 last week. This week we'll look at uh, the rest of this section. And um, you might remember that in terms of the structure of uh, the, the letter, the sermonic letter to the Hebrews... The author, the, the preacher, is, is now in particular considering the faithfulness of Jesus Christ as our uh, high priest. He has spoken in verse 17 of chapter 2 of Jesus as our merciful and faithful high priest. And from the beginning of chapter 3 through to uh, almost the end of chapter 4, he... Um, he expounds in particular the faithfulness of Jesus, our high priest, and then after that he goes on to, to look uh, in some detail at the, the mercy that Jesus shows to us as our high priest. So let us hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Is there someone that you really look up to and admire, someone that you esteem very highly, someone whose words you always listen to, whose ways you seek to follow, whose character you try to emulate? Is there someone like that in your life? I think that if you had asked the congregation to whom this letter was originally written, that same question, is there anyone that you really admire and look up to, they would pretty much all have given the same answer. I'm pretty certain that they would all have said Moses. Moses is the one that we admire. Moses is the one that we esteem very highly. Moses the great prophet of the Old Testament era. Moses, the one to whom, as we saw in Numbers chapter 12, God spoke mouth to mouth. Not in a vision, not in riddles, but mouth to mouth. Moses, who beheld the very form of the Lord, who interceded for God's people as a priest, and who led God's people through the wilderness as a king. Moses, who was, as Numbers 12 says, and as this section in Hebrews repeats, faithful 
faithful in all of God's house, faithful in leading and in teaching and in serving God's covenant people, his church. It's no wonder that Moses was esteemed so highly. He was, if I can speak somewhat colloquially, the man. Moses was the man. Only he wasn't. Great though Moses was, he wasn't that great. Not at least when compared to Jesus. And that is the main point of our text before us this morning. The main point of this text is quite simply that Jesus is greater, far greater than Moses. Jesus is so much better than Moses. Worthy, as verse 3 says, worthy of more glory even than Moses. Both Jesus and Moses, as verse 2 says, were faithful to God. There's the similarity between them in our passage. There's the line of continuity. Just as Jesus was faithful, is our faithful high priest, so too Moses was faithful to all those things that God had appointed him. But there the similarity in our passage ends. And from that point on, we see a sharp discontinuity that the author explains between Jesus and Moses. Because, as he says, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is worthy of more glory because he is better, he is greater, he is more wonderful, more glorious than Moses. Therefore, and this is the implication, therefore, don't go back to Moses. That's what the preacher to the Hebrews is saying to this congregation. They were being tempted to go back to Moses, to return, in other words, to the old forms of covenant religion. And here the the preacher is impressing upon them, as he does throughout his sermon, the need for them to keep going and to keep following Jesus. Not to go back to Moses, to the old covenant era. If Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, which he is, then press on in your faith in Jesus, hard though it is. Stick with Jesus. God has counted Jesus worthy of far more glory than Moses. So press on in your faith. And as we go on in our passage this morning, we see the author giving two reasons why Jesus is worthy of more glory than even Moses. The first reason is this. Jesus is the builder of God's house. Why is Jesus worthy of more glory than Moses? Because Jesus is the builder of God's house. Verse 3 Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than than the house itself. Now here, a a truism is is stated. It's an obvious truth that's stated here by the preacher in verse 3. 
The one who builds or who designs a house is, is clearly deserving of more praise than the house itself. You might well admire a house, but how much more do you admire the one who has put it all together? How much more do you admire the one whose mind, whose skill, whose know-how lies behind the house that you see? I remember as a relatively young boy visiting St. Paul's Cathedral, and I remember as a young boy standing in awe at the uh, magnificence of that building. Perhaps you've experienced that if you've visited St. Paul's. It is a majestic structure, isn't it? But how much more majestic was the mind of the architect who designed that great cathedral? How much more worthy of honour is Sir Christopher Wren, the architect, than St. Paul's, the building? How worthy of glory Jesus, therefore, must be to be the builder, not of a cathedral in central London, but of all of God's house. How worthy of glory Jesus must be to be the builder, the designer, the heavenly architect of God's church, to be the mind that lies behind the one holy Catholic apostolic church, which is the covenant people of God, the church that has existed since the very beginning of the world. And that alone of all the institutions of the world will exist forevermore. How worthy of all glory and honour and praise is the builder of such a trans-historical, worldwide, everlasting institution. Jesus has been counted by God worthy of more glory than Moses because he is the builder of God's house, the church, whereas Moses, by implication, is not. Moses is a part of God's house. Moses is in God's house. Moses is, to use the language of Paul in 2 Timothy 2, an honourable vessel in God's house. In his church, Moses is worthy to be sure of a certain degree of honor and admiration. But for all of his undoubted faithfulness, Moses did not build God's house. Moses is not the builder of the church. To put it bluntly, without Moses, God's house would still exist. But without Jesus, there would be no house of God. God's house would still exist without Moses, but it would not exist without Jesus. Of course, therefore, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. And the writer then goes on to reinforce this point this truism that he has just stated in verse 3, with a theological principle, a very basic theological principle in verse 4. It's a shame that it's in uh, brackets. I don't think it should be because it's a, 
a key part of his argument. It's not a parenthesis, an aside. He goes on in verse 4 to say, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, the function of this verse is to clarify the comparison that's just been made in verse 3. The, the preacher has just stated that Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because Jesus is the builder of God's house. And now he goes on to explain in verse 4 how much more glory Jesus is worthy of than Moses. Here in verse 4, he explains, as it were, the measure that we should use when determining or calculating how much more glory Jesus is worthy of than Moses. And what is that measure? That measure is God and creation. That's what he's talking about here in verse 4, God and creation. God is the builder of all things. He is, in other words, the maker of heaven and earth. That is basic biblical teaching. Just read the first chapter of your Bible. How much glory, and this is the point, how much glory do we ascribe to creation? How much glory do we ascribe to the world around us? None at all. Now, we say that creation is glorious. Absolutely. But do we, should we, glorify, praise, and honor creation? Absolutely not. Who do we praise? Who do we glorify? We praise and glorify the creator, the one who made it. We give all the glory to God. By analogy then, how much glory should Moses get? None. None whatsoever. How much glory should Jesus get? All of it. Now I know, a certain degree of glory pertains to Moses because he was a key figure. I'm not denying that, a key figure in the Old Testament. He was faithful, God spoke to him mouth to mouth. Yes, a certain degree of glory pertains to Moses. But you see, such is the glory that pertains to Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, that even the glory that Moses has is, by comparison, nothing at all. Nothing at all. And so as a Christian... You are called, you are commanded to say, and I hope it is your delight to say, all the glory be yours, Lord Jesus Christ, all of it. No glory to Moses, no glory to Abraham, no glory to David, certainly no glory to me, all the glory be yours, because you and you alone are the builder of the house. Because you and you alone are the great creator. The creator not only of the heavens and the earth, but also of the church, which is that divinely constructed organism 
of the new creation. Like Moses, you are called to be faithful. Not in exactly the same way, of course, but you are called to be faithful. And you are to be faithful, not to bring glory to yourself, but to bring glory to Jesus Christ. That was Moses' desire. He would have been horrified to think that there were people, and there are still people, who glorify him more than his maker, Jesus Christ. That would have horrified Moses. May we faithfully declare, may we gladly declare, worthy are you, Lord Jesus Christ, to receive all glory, honor, and power. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because he is the builder of the house. And secondly, he is worthy of more glory because he is the son over God's house. He is the son over God's house. We read in verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Now what this verse does is actually to underscore the exalted position that Moses occupied. That's what the author is doing here. In a sense, he's making life difficult for himself. He's not saying Moses was a nobody. Here he is underscoring the exalted position of Moses. And he does so in three ways. I'll just mention them very briefly. First of all, he does so by stating Moses' location. He was in God's house, very much, in other words, a member of of the household of God. Indeed, we might say a key member, a key member of the household of God. Secondly, he occupied an exalted position because of the title or the office that he had. We're told in verse 5 that he was in God's house as a servant. And this title, this official title, does not denote a position of lowliness, as, as we might naturally assume. Rather, this official title carries overtones of dignity and honor. It describes the relationship of intimacy and trust between Moses and the Lord. We might Translated as honoured servant. That is what the author is getting across here. Moses was an honoured servant in the house of God. And then in the third place, Moses' exalted position is underscored when the author tells us the function that he carried out as this honoured servant in God's house, which was, as he says, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. In other words, Moses was an instrument of God's special revelation. God spoke to Moses, mouth to mouth. Moses beheld the form of the Lord. The first five books of our Bibles are attributed to Moses, the law of Moses. God spoke to him. 
and through Moses, God spoke to his people. And so what the, the, the preacher is doing here, and this is all part of his argument, is to emphasize the high status of Moses. He was in God's house as an honored servant through whom God spoke his inerrant words. But then he goes on to say, having made that point, consider how much higher and how much greater the position and the status that Jesus occupies. Verse 6. Here's the contrast. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Note the striking contrasts. Whereas Moses was faithful in God's house, Christ is faithful over God's house. Whereas Moses was faithful as a servant, Christ is faithful as a son. And whereas Moses testified to things that were to be spoken later, Christ, by implication, this is implied, Christ is the fulfillment of that later revelation. He is God's last day speech. In these last days, God has spoken to us by a son. See then how much more worthy Jesus is than Moses to receive glory. Although Moses did hold an honored position in God's house, Jesus was appointed to rule over God's house, to rule over the house of God, his church, as the exalted son who has been enthroned on high and who is acclaimed by the angels as Lord and King of all. Jesus rules over God's house by his words. In Jesus, we have God's full and final and all authoritative word. Jesus is over Moses. Moses is under Jesus. Jesus is the royal son. Moses is his servant. Jesus is God's word. Moses testified about him. Therefore, Moses really has no honour next to the honour of the Lord Jesus. Now, we've been hearing a little bit this past week about servants in the British royal household. And I don't know what your particular take on the Lady Hussey affair is. I'll leave that for our conversations after the service. But I imagine, I imagine that if you were to meet someone who worked for the monarch, then you would afford them a certain amount of honor and respect, even for you Republicans out there. I imagine if you, if you met someone that actually worked for the king, then you would, you would count that something of a privilege, um, to meet that person. You would show them a certain degree, perhaps, of honour 
and respect. But if whilst you were speaking to one such servant, the, the king himself were to appear, then I've no doubt your attention would be drawn immediately to him. And presumably you would afford him even greater honour and respect. And that is how we are to view the relationship of Moses to Jesus. We honour Moses. We don't disregard him. We honour Moses because he was a faithful servant in the royal household. But now that Jesus has, as it were, walked into the room, our attention rightly turns to him. Because Jesus is the royal son. And he rules over the royal household. And so we afford him all the glory and honor. An honor that makes the honor of Moses as nothing at all. So why is Jesus worthy of more glory than Moses? Because Jesus is the builder of God's house. Moses is a part of God's house. And because Jesus is the son who rules over God's house, well, Moses was a servant in God's house. But what does all of this mean for you? What does this passage mean for you when you wake up tomorrow morning and you face the week ahead? Well, it means exactly the same thing for you as it meant for these Hebrew Christians 2,000 years ago. It means, second half of verse 6, we are his house. If, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You are God's house. One house. Not two houses, one house made up of old covenant men like Moses and new covenant people like us. One house. Just like Moses, just like these Hebrew Christians, you are in the household of God. Jesus Christ is your builder. Jesus Christ is the one who has brought you into his home. He has said, come in, let me bring you in. He has, as it were, made you one of his bricks, one of his stones, his living stones. And having brought you into his home, having made you a member of his royal household, Jesus is building you up. He is fashioning you brothers and sisters, into a most glorious, most beautiful edifice. And despite all of the attacks on his house, by all of the raging powers of hell, Jesus will bring his building project to completion. He will make you into the most glorious and beautiful house because he is the son who rules over you. You are God's house. I hope you know that. 
There's the encouragement. Here's the exhortation. You are God's house if you hold fast your confidence and your boasting in your hope. There's the condition. There's what we might call the imperative of the law rising out of the indicative of the gospel. You are God's house if you continue to be God's house. You must persevere in your faith. You must maintain your trust in the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter how you began as a Christian. What matters is that you end as a Christian. You must keep looking forward to the hope to which God has called you. If you don't, then God will remove you from his house. If you don't keep going, you will no longer be in Christ's household. You will be, as it were, disinherited. So let me close by saying to you, brothers and sisters, consider Christ and consider how in Christ you have been blessed with countless blessings. Jesus Christ is your builder. He is building you up. Jesus Christ is your great king. He is the royal son who rules over you for your good. Consider how blessed you are to be a member of Jesus' royal household, his heavenly family. It is not yours by right. It's not. He is the one who has brought you in. Do not throw away your blessings. Do not disinherit yourself. Do not forsake your hope. Hold fast. Hold fast, because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, more glory than anyone else. Hold fast to him. How? By considering him. And remember as you consider Jesus that he is faithful. He is your faithful high priest. Jesus will not fail you. Jesus will not let you down. Jesus will not forsake you. Jesus Christ is holding fast to you. So, brothers and sisters, hold fast to him. Amen.